Shall we pray? God, you who are our peace, you who have broken down the barriers between us and you, you who have made a way for us to have peace with you, help us to be peacemakers, to actively wage peace in a world filled with conflict. Father, we thank you for the gift that you give us to serve you. Lord, I pray that we would learn this truth that is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. God, help us so to live. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good all the time. So I typed in the subject of mortal sin on Google this week on my computer. I want you to hear the first line on the results page. When it came up, it said, and I quote, shop here for mortal sin and receive 10% back on your first purchase. I'm not making that up. That was the first line. And in our consumerized culture, I suppose that even sin is for sale. But the list of mortal sins that followed on the other below included things like lust and gluttony and greed, wrath, envy, and pride. But another word there that seemed perhaps out of place in our culture, the word sloth. Who knew that laziness was such a serious sin? But there it was on the list of mortal sins. Of course, the scripture doesn't distinguish between mortal and venial sins. There aren't some sins that are really, really bad and some that are really okay. But as we read the list, I I wondered if you and I would have put sloth on that list. Just a little inventory here. Do you ever struggle with procrastination, with laziness? Do you ever struggle with apathy and indifference? Or could you just say this morning, I really don't care. What one sign of the general laziness of our culture is these new peanut butter slices. Have you seen those? Uh, Presumably because for some people, it's just a little bit too hard of work to actually spread the peanut butter on the bread. So the Kennedy Company up in Oklahoma has produced peanut butter slices and now you just have to unwrap them like cheese and put them on the bread. But alas, you still have to spread the jelly. There is no answer for that. But wait, it's probably in the works. The truth is laziness is not a new problem. It goes back at least 3,000 years to the time of Solomon where he acknowledges the laziness and the propensity toward that within his own children. And so I want us to hear his teaching today to hear the word of the Lord. Would you stand with me as we read the book of Proverbs? We've been studying this, uh, thinking about our families. In Proverbs chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. Randy mentioned tonight that one of my students, uh, Carrie Tillman, who is uh, a pastor uh, down in Galveston, He's also a grandfather. Uh, He's about my age and he is a tremendous preacher who was in a class that I taught some time ago and he taught me a lot. So I thought we should come tonight and let him teach us and I look forward to hearing him preach. Proverbs 21, verse 25, the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing 
And then in chapter 24, as I turn the page there, verse 30, the end of chapter 24, another little glimpse of the life of the sluggard. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere, the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. And I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. And then in chapter 26, our last reading today, from verse 13, 26 verse 13, it says, The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. You may be seated. Proverbs gives us pictures of life. It's almost like a pictorial directory of different problems and struggles that people have. So you can read the Proverbs and after he gives you the initial discourses, there are just these little snippets, just little one verse truths. Usually there's parallelism within them and they paint pictures of people. For instance, there's a a picture of the drunkard in some of these verses. He gives a picture of the gossip. He also shows us positively in chapter 31, a portrait of the virtuous woman. And I think we could agree together today that of all the things we can say about her, one we cannot say is that she is lazy. She is far from lazy. She's up before dawn. She's selling property. She's making garments. She's feeding her children. She's providing for her family and her servants. And she is busy with the best of things. And we learn at the end the secret of her life is that she is a woman who fears the Lord. In these proverbs about the sluggard or the slothful person, what we discover that Solomon is saying as he writes to his children, as he writes to these children, daughters and sons of the king is, I want more for you as my children, he says, than for you to waste your life. I don't want you to waste your life on meaningless things. I want you to give yourself to things that matter. And I speak this morning to sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And I speak for the Heavenly Father when I say, God wants more for us than just for us to to waste our lives in frivolous things. God wants more for us than just for us to, to spend our time on things that don't matter. In fact, what He shows us is that That slothfulness or or laziness is not just a a little problem that we ought to think about, but it's a a deep spiritual issue. There are numerous verses where he just has a a verse, the, the sluggard never plants. And so when the harvest comes, there's nothing for him to reap. A couple of times he says, a little rest, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands, just another little nap, hit the snooze alarm one more time and poverty will come on you like a bandit. Scarcity will invade your home like an armed man. But perhaps the most telling truth that he gives us about the life of laziness 
is there in those first verses I read to you in chapter 21, verses 25 and 26, when he says, and he contrasts, by the way, the slothful person with the righteous person. In other words, in the life of the person who's been made righteous through relationship with Jesus Christ, there's no room for laziness. And he contrasts these two people, and I want you to hear it. He says, now the lazy person is always craving more. This insatiable thirst to acquire things for self. Laziness has been around a long time. Because selfishness has been around a long time. But on the other hand, he says in 21 verse 26, the righteous person lives to give, loves to share, and has something to give because that person has rightly stewarded her life, his life, in a way that they have much to give to the world. And I speak to people like that and say, God wants to use you. God wants to use you to make a difference. God wants to use you to make a difference in this world. And He can, if you are willing to follow the pattern, not only of the ant, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, go to the ant, you slugger. But could I just ask us this morning, could we go to the maker of the ant? Could we go to the one who created the ant and just discover in his rhythm of work and rest, six days he labored, created everything in the world, and on the seventh day he rested. And if you and I could regain that rhythm, it should come naturally to us. We were created in the image of a creative God, and He has created us to become like Him. And if that weren't enough, He sent His Son so that you and I might be conformed to the image of His Son. And I notice about Jesus that He was busy doing good things, and somehow still never seemed to be in a hurry. Jesus knew how to rest. Jesus knew how to work. And he said to his disciples, read the Gospel of John again and again. We must do the work that the Father has given us to do. For this purpose, we were sent into the world. Have you found your purpose? Have you discovered why you are here? Have you recognized the unique way that God has wired you? And are you using those gifts by the grace of God, for the glory of God, to accomplish His purpose in the world, I only ask because as I read this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded that slothfulness really is sinfulness. In fact, the word in Hebrew is the word asel. It comes from a verb that means to move slowly. To move slowly. That is the slothful person, the lazy person, probably has pretty good intentions. Wakes up in the morning, he's got the list that he wants to accomplish, but he just never gets around to... The first thing on the list. He just never quite brings himself to that. In fact, in, in, in the Greek, the word is akadia. That's the word that the church fathers picked up to describe this. Ah, the alpha privative means not. Kadia, to care. To just not care. To be indifferent. To be apathetic. It's a spiritual torpor. An ennui. Just a, an inability to motivate oneself. It's a person who cares so very little that they just never do anything good. And God made us for more than that. More than just for the sitting around like uh, I read this week about Suresh Joachim who made the Guinness Book of World Records back in 2005 for watching television for 69 hours and 48 minutes in a row. 
And there is this endless opportunity in our culture. We have made laziness into an art form. We got the remote control. We don't have to get up and change the, you know, the volume anymore. We don't have to, you know, we get annoyed when the remote control's uh, not available because that means we actually have to get up. We've got video games. We've got computers. I'm going to exclude Wii from this category because Wii actually makes you move the Nintendo Wii. But we've got all of these ways that we can, that we can sit and do nothing. And as a result, that becomes a pattern in our lives. And Solomon says it's not a good pattern. Just look with me at chapter 26. At a day in the life of a sluggard. And what you have to know is in verse 16, the first thing he says is that the sluggard starts with a bad attitude. Why? In verse, 20, uh, verse 30 of chapter 24, he says, this person has no judgment. The sluggard is the person with no judgment. 26 verse 16, he says, the sluggard isn't very smart, but he thinks he's the smartest person in the room. He's smarter than seven people. That's the word in Hebrews 7 for perfect. He, he's got perfect wisdom. He's smarter than seven wise people combined. He knows so much. He knows so much that when he wakes up in the morning, rather than get out of bed, he says, I would go outside, but there's a lion in the street. There's not really a lion in the street, but there might be a lion in the street. And if there's a lion in the street, I might be killed, and I certainly don't want to be killed, so I'll just never go outside. In chapter 22, verse 13, there's that same picture, and he adds to that picture. He says, there might be a murderer in the street. Who knows if there's a murderer outside? city as big as Houston there are plenty of murderers so I'll just never go outside so what does he do verse 14 he turns on his bed like a door on its hinges now here's the sort of wordplay there a door is a place to go out and get something done but not him he's attached to his bed he hits the snooze alarm again and again he has not accomplished what my friend and mentor Bruce Winter says the ability to put mind over mattress not mind over matter but mind over mattress and Bruce Winter gets so much done and the reason he gets so much done he says is because he he gets up early I have a prayer partner who lives in Washington DC now but he used to live in Austin with me and he used to say to me when I wake up I get up and when I get up I pray up and when I pray up I stay up and I stay up and care for other people and he had this idea that if he awakened in the night that perhaps God knew somebody needed his prayers at that time. And I love that sort of attitude that says, life is not about me getting a little bit more rest. Life is really about me using rest in a way that gives me the strength to do what I need to do. And so we must be wary of this life. And he goes on as he describes, he says, he, he's hungry, you know, it comes time for breakfast. He finally pries himself out of bed, verse 15, and he reaches down into the bowl but he just forgets to bring the Cheerios up to his mouth. You know, he just, he can't quite get them up there. I mean, that's just exhausted. He's just tired. He just, you know, you know people like this. They just, they're slow. They just never get around. It's always, well, I'll do it next week. I'll do it next time. I'll, they just never actually get around to getting anything done. And that is a dangerous way to live our lives. John Ortberg tells about a man who went back to his hometown and he, he saw the house that he grew up in and he knocked on the door and he said, you know, I'm just feeling kind of nostalgic. Can I come in and just kind of look around the house I grew up in? And they said, sure. And he goes up to his old bedroom and he looks around. He goes in his closet, you know. He goes up into the attic and he gets up in the attic and he looks around and he finds an old jacket that he left there. It's his jacket. He puts it on. It still almost fits. You know, he's kind of proud of that. He puts it on. He reaches in his pocket. He finds a ticket stub. He pulls it out. It's for a local shoe repair shop and he remembers that years before he had left some shoes at a shoe repair shop 20 years before and so he he thanks the people and he gets in his car and drives over there and just on a whim he hands it to the guy same guy by the way hands it to the guy and says are my shoes ready yet 
Guy looks at it, goes back in the back and says, come back a week from Thursday. They'll be here. You know, he still hasn't done it. He's had 20 years and he still needs another week and a half. Well, that's the way a sluggard is. It's always a week from Thursday. I'm, I'm going to do that someday. How many things like that do you have on your list? Someday I'm going to get some things done, but not today. Because today, today I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I want you to see the selfishness that's wrapped up in that. And he describes in chapter 24, did you feel a little guilty when I was reading that to you? He says, he walked by the yard of the, of the sluggard and the grass was growing high. There are weeds and thorns everywhere. The walls are broken down. It's just obvious he just doesn't take care of things because he just doesn't care. And the danger of that, the early Christians said, was that it could lead you into all kinds of harm. For instance, you, you might be so relaxed that you just... You just never get around to doing anything and you die. You, ne- you never have accomplished anything at all because you've never completely focused on doing the things that you need to do. John Buchanan tells about sitting with a group of men one day and this group of men are talking with him and, and they say, we can't wait to retire. These guys are all kind of in their mid-50s. And they say, we just can't wait to retire. And he says, what are you going to do when you retire? And the one guy says, you know, I told my wife this week, when I retire, I will dominate the remote control. I'm going to sit around all day and watch t- TV all day, every day. And John Buchanan said, I didn't even know him, but I said to him, you'll be dead within a year. He said, dead within a year? You don't even know my health? How can you say that? He said, no, no, because if your lack of purpose doesn't kill you, your wife will kill you. She will kill you. Well, I have a friend in the church here, Larry was telling me, a friend in our church, uh, her husband retired and he was sitting around the house and she said, you know what, I married you for life, but I didn't marry you for lunch. Get up, get out, do something. I need you out of the house. And the problem with not doing anything, it creates problems in our lives. Listen to this little poem about a person who's inactive. He wasn't much for moving about. It wasn't his desire. While others sought to build the church, he was sitting by the fire. Same old story, day by day, he never seemed to tire. No matter what others did, He was sitting by the fire. At last he died, as all must do. They say he went up higher. But if he's doing what he used to do, he's sitting by the fire. (laughs) Well, you don't want to sit by the fire for eternity. You want to do something. And those who have been saved by Christ are being, we've said, are being sanctified. Christ has done a great work in us. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And we're to work out our own salvation, Philippians says, with fear and trembling. That is, since, since God has done such a great work in us, We've got work to do in this world. We can make a difference in the life of somebody. And the challenge is, I think, for us, not just to go to the ant, but to go to the maker of the ant who worked and then rested. And I love that image of rest. I love that picture. I love Psalm 127, verse 2. You know what it says? God gives sleep to those whom he loves. I say this to our kids. Sleep is a gift receive the gift of sleep just receive it it's a gift from God God wants you to be able to rest and just that picture it's in Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15 where he says in repentance and rest is your salvation you think it's about frenetic activity and in Isaiah's uh, words there his hearers say but we're going to flee we're going to run and do something he says okay you want to run you're going to run for your life because your enemies will be swift but but I long to have compassion on you God says In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, I would love to give you rest. God wants us to rest. He wants us to learn what that's about. You say, but I thought you were preaching about slothfulness. Well, here's what I want you to see. That if you look at the pattern of God's work in the world, God knew that after work came rest. And that if you and I don't learn to rest, if we don't learn to come apart for a while and rest with Christ as his disciples did, then we will just come apart 
If we miss this, if we don't learn that rhythm of Sabbath, as Marva Dawn describes it in her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, she says, the Sabbath was always intended to be a day of holy rest, a day of holy reflection to think, a day of holy recreation in which we are restored and replenished. This is what God intended. Can I just ask you, when do you have that in your life? Because we have effectively worked that out of our schedules. We talk a lot about wanting to do nothing, but we're always doing something. We've made an idol of busyness, and there must come a time when you and I simply rest before the Father. I have friends in Waco who have a porch swing, and behind the porch swing a sign, and the sign says, when I work, I work hard. That's good. I think we should work hard when we work. And then it says, when I sit, I sit easy. And if we never sit easy... We won't be able to work hard when it's time to work. And my word to you is that you and I must learn to rest in relationship with God. Re-restore the Sabbath. Come back to this idea that God wants us to rest. And in that rest, we will discover the strength to work. Somebody has said, there's no music in a rest. But there is, can we agree, the making of music in a rest. It's in the rest that we prepare for the making of music. It's in the rest in our lives that we prepare. And we serve this amazingly creative God who just spoke the world into existence. Let there be. And He accomplished all of the beautiful creation of the world that we live in. And that creative God created us in His image. So if you and I are not creating, can I just say this morning, it's not His fault. Because He created us to create. And one of the reasons we can't create is because by the time we do everything that we have planned, not what He has planned, but what we have planned for our lives, there's no time left to do what He has planned. And when you and I learn to rest, then we will be able to work as God has made us to work, to do good things. I see it in the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica. Apparently they had some people who just didn't want to work. He said, okay, if you don't want to work... You just don't get to eat. That was a sort of incentive for them. You don't work, you don't eat. Everybody said, okay, if if we have to work to eat, then we will work. But Jesus speaks it to his disciples in John chapter 9. When he sees the man born blind, remember his disciples, they want to argue about why he's blind. Is it his fault? Is it his parents' fault? Why, why, why? And Jesus says, no. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. As long as it's day... We must work the works of the Father who sent us. We've got to do God's work in this world as long as we are. He said, because the night is coming when nobody will be able to work. I've got a a myriad examples right here in our congregation. I remember when I moved here 10 years ago, Bud Hudgens was involved. You know, after years of working for an oil company, when he retired, he didn't really retire. He became involved in the lives of, of, of ministry to the lives of, of students who lived in the inner city, kids who weren't passing the toss and tax tests. And along the way, he had the chance to share Christ with them and he organized a system to do that, to minister, and it was very effective. I, when I came here, there were people playing pianos and, and leading music and preaching and nursing home services all Sunday afternoon. And, and some of those people have graduated to heaven. <laughs> They're with the Lord now. But there's still work to be done. There's still people with need. And, and we have uh, a need for preschool teachers. And we'll have a need for, for children's teachers at this particular hour in, in October when we move into the new sanctuary. We're going to need more children's teachers at the 11 o'clock hour. And, and some of you have been resting for a long time. And now it's time for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm well rested. I'm ready now 
to do what God has called me to do. And I challenge you not to stop short of what God has called you to do. Just this week, I was looking in the backseat of one of my son's cars. We swap cars. We only do that when he needs me to do something to his car, by the way. And it's always disastrous because I always forget something in my car. But in his car this week, there was a book and it was called Do Hard Things. And I thought, I want to see what that is. And so I picked it up. It was written by two enterprising young high school students. And they wrote this book to other students. These two teenage brothers, their last name is Harris. They live over on the West Coast. And they said, we want you to do hard things. I want you to hear what they write in the first chapter. They write, most people don't expect you to understand what we're going to ask you to do. And even if you understand, they don't expect you to care. And even if you care, they don't expect you to do anything about it. And even if you do something, they don't expect it to last. But we do. And I thought, those are words from the Father to us. I mean, we we might think, you know, well, nobody cares whether we understand what the pastor's saying. And and even if we understand to care or if we care to do something or if we do something, do something that lasts. But can I just speak on behalf of the Heavenly Father and say, we do. We really expect that if we hear the word of the Lord and we see that there are needs in the body of Christ, that we will use the spiritual gifts that God has given us to the fullest potential. There are places of service for you. There's a place for you at Tallawood Baptist Church. And the question is, have you found that place? Because it's a dangerous thing to be out of position. It's not just that we don't get good things done. It's that as the, as the early church fathers said, idle hands can be the devil's workshop. If you can't find something for your hands to do, Satan will find something for your hands to do. David discovered that. He was supposed to be off at war and he's wandering on the roof of his house and he gets in a lot of trouble. We told our students at camp. And my word to you is God wants us to be busy for him doing Good things. In fact, the scriptures say in Ephesians, um, we are his workmanship. That word means we are God's masterpiece created for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to do. God's got something for me to do. God's got something for you to do. There's no sense sitting around saying, well, I'm just one. I am but one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do By the grace of God, I will do. How about you? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you have created us to be like yourself. And you are so amazingly creative. So Lord, I pray that you would help every person in this room to find their place in the kingdom of God. Here, uh, somewhere else, Lord, wherever you want them to be, I pray that there would be a place for them to serve you and to use the gifts that you've given. And Lord, we hear your voice today saying that you really expect us to move beyond low expectations, to move beyond the life of laziness to the liberation that comes from living for the Lord. So help us to live, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.